think it was in a rook, and Conor Murray threw the ball back and kicked it. Just look at it soaring through the air. And honestly, I was only on the pitch for seven minutes, but when that went over, it was it was the best feeling I've ever had on a rugby pitch in my life. Like it literally was. <laughs> like I'm talking as good as like the feeling after having our first child. Like just, <laughs> and my wife won't be happy I said that. Yeah. But genuinely, it was just incredible. House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe. Game changed. Hello and welcome to House of Rugby here on Joe. I'm Emer Constein and I'm joined in studio by Fergus McFadden and we swapped out one Ulster man for another Ulster man and former Ulster and Ireland player Chris. Thank you so much for joining us. That's my pleasure to be here. You rushed down the road after doing commentary on BBC today for the game. Yeah, yeah, I um, was doing the radio, so I've watched it in detail. Um, so yeah, like everyone, um, I was kind of hoping to be driving down a bit more upbeat. Um, but yeah, uh, it was a busy old day, but um, it was great to be in and uh, hopefully chat, put a, a bit of positive spin on today's performance. And you're happy to get out of the house as well? Yeah, it's been great to get out of the house. Um, but like Ferg, I've got two young kids. Um, so yeah, any excuse to get out at the moment is great. Um, and to be able to talk about, obviously, um, something I love, rugby, so it's great to be here. I know, for a few moments there, you almost forgot there was a pandemic on this weekend. I think everyone was really excited for the rugby this weekend. Unfortunately, um, Ireland rallied and they tried and, you know, battled through performance day today, but down to 14 men early in the game. Um, they, after 13 minutes, you know, and led 13-6 at half time. But they could not keep Wales out in the second half. They lost 21-16. But that scoreline is not even half of the story. So let's get straight into it. Not an ideal start with the red card after 13 minutes, Chris. No, um, certainly not. Um, really uh, disappointing way for, for some, one of your you know, key players, obviously Peter Manny, um, who's brought so much uh, positivity to Irish rugby, made so many big moments. But that obviously was a, just such a, a disappointing start for him. Um, a moment of... Not mad. Just, as a back rower, I know that you, you see an opposition shirt and you want to completely smash it. Um, and unfortunately for him, um, he just you know the elbow caught the face, and, and there was no other decision to be made apart from the red card. So, um, yeah, really, I think there was no malice in it, though, wasn't there? Not no, like, no malice. But you know, Pete would have been going to that game so hyped up. And, and mm. as I said, you want you want to see an opposition shirt and you want to just smash it and take someone's head off. And um, unfortunately, it went against him. Um, I think it's so clear cut these days as well. There's no grey area anymore. You know, there was no, I think even when he was communicating with the TMO, it was very much, these are the laws, this is what happened. And it was very, very clear cut. Yeah, it's a, it's a very difficult one when it happens because it happens so fast there. And you can guarantee that with Paul O'Connell coming into the camp, he was driving kind of, because um, he learned an awful lot under Joe Schmidt about cleaning past the ball. And it looked like their rook was, well, the rook all day, I thought was the best it looked in a long time. And, Pete obviously was looking to just smash that guy who was on top of the ball, and unfortunately his, his head was just so low. Um, you know, I, I I definitely think there was there was no intention behind it, and I hope he doesn't pick up any sort of a ban because I think um, the red card was probably probably enough and was an unfortunate for us to pick it up at, at that early stage. I think so. Um, 14 men, though, not an easy way to get through the game, but there were some phenomenal performances. I suppose we'll start with the, the positives of the game. So like you said, the rook was good. You know, they did sort out their line out. Um, who stood out for you today? You know, everyone, uh, so many players stood out in an Irish perspective. I think um, there's no doubt they all had to go to the well. They all um, give everything because you're making up for that lost player at such an early point of a game. Um, Wales couldn't 
exploit Ireland really at all. You know, I think it, looking at it, um, it was an average Wales performance. With a man down, you'd expect them to up the ante, up the tempo. And it was the well, it was the Irish players that actually took it to to Wales. And at, at the end of that first half, which was fantastic to see, um, you know, big carries, so many big carries from um, you know Stander, from Henderson, Tag Burn was just outstanding. Um, Van der Flyer, you know, some of his carries and, and what the work that he brought. So everyone made up uh, for Peter Malley being off. Um, and I really thought that there was a, just a brilliant belief going into that, that half time. They'd managed the game so well in regards to territory and keeping possession. And, and it was actually the Welsh team that looked, I thought, shattered going into half time. Um, when Tagburn scored that try from Henshaw's break on the blind side, if you watch it back on the widescreen, there must be about five Irish players around the corner. So if, if Tagburn hadn't picked, anyone could have been walking in. And the Welsh players, they weren't folding. And I think that's a great sign. If you look at opposition, how quickly they fold, um, how quickly they are to get set. And it was just a shame that, um, yeah, the fatigue in the Irish uh, team in the second half came to the forced the unforced errors and the penalty count to go against them. I think during the week, Peter Manny said that you know, everyone has to train as if as if they're playing and everyone needs to know the plays and everyone needs to be, you know, pushing the standards. And today we saw the impact of the bench and how important it is that those bench guys slot in. And like you said, Ian Henderson was phenomenal after James Ryan went off injured. But, you know, they were down to 14 players and the team managed to... They dealt with it really well. Robbie Henshaw make an open side flanker look very easy. Um, yeah. You know, like he was... Uh... Pretty sure he didn't know what, pretty sure he didn't know where to bind. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at him on his first crumb there, I think it was around 10 metres out on the right uh, in the first half and he went on you could see he was almost looking over at, at Josh van der Fleer seeing where exactly he needs to join. But uh, If there's one man you want on the side of a scrum, it's Ferg, definitely. <laughs> head guard ready. The, he- the head on, yeah. Exactly. I probably, probably belong there, realistically. <laughs> Too right. There was actually a few weeks ago in training, they made us uh, swap around and forwards were backs and backs were forwards and the forwards were picking and going. I was like, backs don't pick and go. We had a notion where to put heads and arms and there was a mall and everything. So I... I, I don't want that day to happen where, you learned a lot where that, day, where that ever you? has to wear that. <laughs> you learned what rugby was properly about then. Yeah, not a clue what was going on. But, you know, some phenomenal performances and like Josh van der Fleer, you know, for someone who didn't get a lot of game time in the Autumn Nations, you know, Will Connors came on and, and was tremendous again. But van der Fleer, one of his better games today. Yeah, I'm not sure what his stats were, but between Josh van der Fleer and Tyg Byrne and Robbie Henshaw, like they were phenomenal performances and just so unfortunate they had to end up on the losing side because they didn't deserve to. And uh, yeah, I think it was um, I think it was James, the the loose head for Wales, got the man of the match. Yeah, he I think he his his stats were really good as well. But right across the board, I mean, listen, it was a really really experienced um, Welsh side. That's what Wayne Pivak went for. He went for the old guard, and it worked out for him in the end. I, I agree with Chris. I didn't think they looked like they were um, getting over the gain line very much with, with the ball in hand. I think even George North's try was, was from a spilled pass that popped into, um, I think it was uh, Tipuric managed to flick it out. and He got outside Henderson. Yeah, George North got in. And then the other try they scored was um, quick hands and, and um, uh, Reese Amit just, it was a phenomenal finish in the, in the corner. So, um but between, even, between those two chances, they were clinical, but really, for the amount of pressure Ireland put on, I think they really deserved to, to probably have more on the scoreboard, and it probably that, that um, being down to 14 men probably told uh, in the last 20 minutes. Yeah, and even for Zamet's try, like it was Tyg Furlong that was the one that was over-covering 
and like the work rate that the Irish, the team, not just, you know, not the pack. It was, it was genuinely like everyone was just gave it. I think that was what was so heartbreaking at the end was that they left, you know, they left everything out there. They, they carried so hard. They, they never gave up. Like it was the 83rd, 84th minute. And, you know, it was just a really gutsy performance that like your heart broke for the players. Like what's it like as a player knowing that you've, You've given it all. Yeah, I think like it really galvanised the team. I think um, especially someone like Pete, who you know, has won so many big moments for Ireland in the past. If you're a player on that pitch and someone who you know you're very close to has made a mistake, like all rugby players do, it galvan- you don't you want to win? Obviously, you want to win always, but you know that there's so much at stake. And I think you, we really saw that that team came together and, and gave it the, everything they could have to try and get the win um, because as I said it, we were talking here about Peter Manny who's one of Ireland's best players over such a long time who's won so many big moments for Ireland and yes this, unfortunately this day wasn't his day uh, to remember so yeah that's that's the biggest positive Tag Furlong coming back you know playing so little rugby yeah. to be able to, to get across the other side of the pitch to you know that forearm you know another day that knocks the ball out yeah. and those are the small moments and games that can change so for me um, to see him back and so fit and and um, you know, make an impact, fantastic to see. And uh, yeah, there's low. I mean, you go through the team sheet. Every player, I don't think, no, a few unforced errors, and yes, a few silly penalties. But again, it all comes down to they're so fatigued by that stage in the second half because of um, you know being the man down. So lots of um, disappointment, lots of positives as well from the from the game. Lots of positives. Well, I suppose we have to look at the negatives and look at where Ireland lacked and what let them down today. And it was just there was key moments of the game, like. Even, you know, um, Ringrose trying to offload where he knocked it on, it, ended, it resulted in the Welsh try, you know, for some passes that weren't on. There was things, you know, Clint kicks missed a touch and obviously at the very end, the um, a pass from Billy Burns, you know, put them way behind the advantage line and then obviously him missing the kick to touch. You know, those are the crucial moments that you need to, you need to be making in, in, in games like that. Yeah, but I think in the, ba- <clears throat> in the balance of the game, I think... If you looked at the stats, Wales probably made more unforced errors for the amount of ball they had than Ireland did. Like, I'm not sure what the stats were, but Ireland, um, I think their carries were... They were double almost, yeah. Definitely mm-hmm. in the end twice as many as the Welsh. So that, that sums the game up, and that's a, that's a man down as well. So yeah, there, there was some errors throughout the game, but I thought um, the overriding feeling for me was that I, I'm not so sure Wayne Barnes had, had a great game for Ireland in the, in the second half either. Um, I think there was a penalty, a very important penalty towards the end that we're talking about before we got, in, got on the show where Tyg Byrne was over the ball and it seemed like the ball was out. You know, that, that penalty was given against Ireland. That's three points and if, if you roll it forward then and Billy Burns is kicking for the corner. He can kick for goal there if that penalty wasn't wasn't given, and I don't think it was a penalty. Um, again, another one that you, you, is up for debate would be at, uh, towards the end. Ireland try and throw it out the back through Billy Burns, and Tompkins clearly just slaps the ball down. Like that's if that wasn't the 79th minute, I think that's a yellow card. So um, from that. Um, play the kick to touch and if they're a man down in, in, in the centre there it just creates so much more space so a couple of decisions that didn't go Ireland's way from Wayne Barnes's um, decision making I'm not so sure they were correct Yeah Wayne Barnes statistically has given Ireland two times more penalties than all of the refs have um, over the past decade would you look at referees prior to a game and analyse that and know what certain referees do? Uh, yeah I mean it's especially a test match rugby um, 
not so much you touch on it a bit uh, provincial when I was playing but obviously games moved on so much more I'm sure you would go into even more detail but with Joe Smith I mean yeah 100% there was a, a massive um, de- meeting on uh, the small talking points that it had to go to and, and um, it did it was important because it definitely planted seeds in your head about your real hot spots that they were looking for um, and it just yeah a lot of it is making sure that um, you know it's, a lot of it's where's the first penalty going to go to you know is it going to be that first scrum What's he looking for? What's his go-to, um, you know, trigger points? So, I, I'm surprised by that stat with Wayne Barnes. You know, um, it is difficult to you know to listen to that. And I, I agree with Ferg. You know, even um, I think it was George North. It was a real cynical play where he pushed the ball on the ground penalty and. Uh, maybe at a different time in the game, that's a yellow card, another yellow card, and mm. then at the end of this uh, first half, when Robbie Henshaw came off with his HIA, that tackle, mm. you know, that's a dangerous tackle, um, the head collision, reckless, could that have gone a different way? So, look, these are the things that if Buds and Maybes, um, I think probably Wayne Barnes, in hindsight, maybe because in the second half, Ireland were given a string of penalties, and his mindset was going, well, this is just sort of maybe balancing it out, I'm not, I'm not so sure. Um, but you don't want to have to rely on a, a referee's decision to change the outcome, and it was always going to be such a, an uphill battle um, mm. from the first half. Here's what Johnny Sexton had to say about Wayne Barnes leaving his cards in his pocket for the Welsh lads, and here's Andy Farrell talking about that Pete Red card. Yeah, you you said it. Um, yeah, <laughs> but like, what what like? It's just clear for me. It's clear. Um, you know, I, the the Tomkins sticking his hand out. The, the, the hand in the rock. I don't. I don't know. I don't know what else to say. I'm not blaming. I'm blaming ourselves for the loss. But when you show the bravery that we showed, um, they're you know they're tough to take. But again, it's, it's not a surprise really. Um, I haven't yet, but I, but I, but I will do. Uh, I've shook, shook his hand and um, uh, about that. I'm, I'm coming talking to you boys, but I will. I will speak to him. Obviously, um, look, he's. he's it's not the reason we lost the game. Um, we've all missed touch before. I suppose uh, he'll be gutted, obviously, because of the magnitude of the uh, last minute of whether we've got a chance to win the game uh, at the death there. But um, yeah, he'll uh, he'll learn from this. Well, obviously, he's gutted as well. Um, he's, um, you know, guys don't do this on purpose, you know, to to um, to get sent off and hamper the hamper the performance of the team. You know, they they care about the team. And the team matched deeply, you know. So uh, obviously, Pete's hurting um, at this moment in time. But um, he's done a lot of good things for us, hasn't he? In, in, in the past, and I'm sure he'll do the same for us in the future. As a forward, you've played with Paul O'Connell. Um, have you seen any of you know his work implemented in the team today? Um, well, yes, I guess. I mean, the lineout was was run really slick. Um, lineout defence. There were some really big moments. Um, Gosh, it's very early to, to really say, oh, that is a Paul O'Connell moment. Um, I think the time will tell. Uh, I think the biggest thing for me is just the relationships he obviously has with so many of those the, the, the players already. Um, you know, there's a massive respect between himself and Henderson and uh, James Ryan. So it's a wealth of knowledge he's going to bring. Um, the forwards did really well. And whether that is directly towards a Paul O'Connell or not, I know as a player... If you, whenever if I was still set up and Paul O'Connell wasn't going to be my new forwards coach, 
I mean, you look at all the one percenters and the fine margins, but you want to play for a coach, and there's no one else you want to play for more than Polly. Yeah, you know, he knew that no matter what he says to you, what he demands from you, he he has done it. He has been there and done it. Um, he was the ultimate um, pro when I played. Um, and yeah, just a, I just think it's a great um, addition to this Irish team and a great side story. But to say that was the Irish pack, you know, did they have a great performance just because of Paulie? Well, I think it's too early to say. And I think he would probably admit that too. You know, he really needs to stamp his authority and it's going to take time. And a big, a, the bigger factor is probably going to be how, how, how this pack's going to bounce back from, from this. You know, mm-hmm. will, his, will the psychology set up what Paul brings? We've had a tough day, the, a tough day, test match rugby. It hasn't gone our way. Well, how do we bounce back quickly? Because it's such a short turnaround. Um, as a forward, you're gonna like they they're gonna be hurting after today. That was a, that was a test match um, today that the pack had to deliver. Um, and it's whether Paul can, can get them going for next week. I think the rook the rook was better though, and I I, I I agree with you that you know they've only had twelve days together. Andy Farr was saying beforehand, so it's not enough time for you know Paulie to implement what he wants to bring to the team. It's going to take a bit more time than that, but. Um, and the expectations are so high from the public that oh, Paul O'Connell's in. He's going to make you know it takes time to embed that um, kind of twist he's going to bring to the team. But I think the rook was was better than the autumn anyway. I think I think it was Tipperick had that clear turnover in the second half um, where where Johnny he took the ball off Johnny on the ground. But I don't think they had many turnovers. And for the back row and pack they have you know, the threats they have over the ball, I thought that was a lot better. So if they can bring that into the French game, that would be huge. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a man that, you know, hasn't that much experience playing in, in obviously his first Six Nations game, James Lowe, how did you feel he, he performed today? Yeah, I think, I mean, test match rugby as a winger is, is it's so brutal, you know. Um, I think that, I thought he had a good game. I think that his some of his kicking, having that left-footed option Phenomenal. in the back line now when Rob Carney is gone is key. And he's got one of the biggest boots in the world. So some of his clearances were, were um, you know, really impressive in the first half. He, he got us out of a fair bit of trouble. Um, some of his carries were, were brilliant. You know, that carry he had um, just before Robbie Henshaw made that break, he took the ball off the scrum and got yeah. over the gain line by 10 <clears throat> metres. So such a hard man to stop. Like even when two guys hit him when he's got a, a head of a speed up. So... Um, Listen, there was that one moment probably where Reece Samet scored in the corner. Could he have stayed out? Um, I'd say Andy Farrell would look back on the clip with the lads or the, and the backs um, on Monday and say he probably should have. But uh, people probably forget that it was George North coming onto that ball. He was getting over the gain line all day long. He was getting his hands free all day long. So uh, James probably wanted to try get in there, shut off the ball. And, you know, in fairness, North showed good skill to to flick it to Halfpenny, who, who managed to get it to Reece Samet. So that would probably be a moment he'll look back on. Yeah. Um, it's a lose-lose a there, of, really, uh, isn't it? As a winger, you know, you have to make a decision. You just have to back your decision and just go for it. And if it works out, great. You know, if you end up shooting and get man and ball, it's very great. much so. Very much so. And, and the amount of times James shoots and does get man and ball, so um, fair play to the Welsh. The, the George North showed great skill there, flicked it on and... Uh, but yeah, that was that was um, probably a big enough moment in the match. Yeah, what about Hugo Keenan? I don't think he made any mistake today. He has just been brilliant, hasn't he? I mean, I um, 
geez, when he came on the scene, and, you know, you, you watch him and you go, is he too young to be thrown in the mix? I'm sure you would have obviously trained with him a lot more. Well, I, was, I, I was saying that, that initially because he was taking my place. Oh, well, that's it, yes, of course. <laughs> I was like, yeah, no, he's way he's too rubbish. young. He's rubbish. way too young. Way too young. Um, but no, he has just been you know, so safe, so slick. Um, he's elusive, um, he, you know, counter-attack ability. So, yeah, I just think he, he's been a fantastic find and he just seems like he, you know, he's no problems being there um, for such a young guy. So there is those, there's, there's good um, selection headaches in the back three, but for me, I think Keenan is definitely, you know, when Rob Carney retired, you go, who's going to really, you know, be that safe as houses at the back? Uh, and he certainly, you know, filled that shirt. I think at the moment, and and he, you know, he's only going to get better and better as as he plays more with the players around him, and and those combinations start happening. So, um, yeah, he'll be certainly one of one of the um, shining lights of, of today's game. I think. Yeah, he just did the simple things right. You know, he was just flawless, really. And in a game like today, where you needed consistency, and he really, he really did deliver that. I suppose looking on to next weekend, they've got the French. Um, we'll chat about the French game in, in, in part two, but just, you know, it's a quick turnaround. The bodies will be hurting. A lot of carries today, a lot of metres gained today. Two HIAs, James Ryan had injured and uh, with a head injury and Johnny Sexton went off injured as well. Um, what kind of selection headaches are we looking at next weekend? Well, yeah, they'll have to see what the injury profile is. Um, obviously, Peter Manny's going to be out as well, so there's another yeah. uh, back row um, decision to be made. Um, someone who I think... It, you know, even was hard done by today was Reese Ruddock who has been outstanding um, and what a great story for him to come back so you know he's certainly going to be someone who you know, do they make a few key changes to starting the panel because of you know they've been knocked as you said a short turnaround um, is it might it be an idea to throw some really fresh legs in um, you know you'll say Tag Furlong um, after his cameo you know he's going to be really important against the French um, so yeah look there is going to be Big decisions to be made, as there always is. I think the centre combination with Robbie Henshaw and Ringrose, for me, like their ability just to win those extra wee yards, their mm-hmm. their footwork, um, you think you know, they're just a wall on them, you think they're not going to make any yards and their ability to do that. So I think that was a real big positive for today. Um, what do you think about 10? You know, will it be Billy Burns next week? Or will it be Byrne um, after that kick today? Like, it's a bad mistake to make. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I really felt for the guy because, um, you know, Ireland, Ireland had put themselves in the position. But I think Johnny was quoted saying after the game when, you know, the 10s are the ones that hold the responsibility in those moments. And there's huge responsibility. And, you know, Billy's obviously looking, going, am I going to try, you know, win a line eight for us in the last play of the game on the 22? Or am I going to try and win it as close to the line as possible? So... He went for it, and that's what he had to do. And unfortunately, he didn't catch the the kick perfectly. So, will that affect Andy Farrell's decision making for the next game? You'd imagine so, probably, because you know um, it probably was a tight enough call between himself and Ross. So, um, it's hard to know. At the same time, you don't want to you, you don't want to scapegoat a guy for one mistake. There was loads of mistakes from the whole team. So. Um, it would be nice to see him get another opportunity because it was it was really unfortunate for him that the game had to finish like that for him. But at the same time, I think Ross Byrne has been, you know, he has been brilliant for Leinster at any opportunity he ha- he has had, whether it's coming off the bench or starting in big matches. And, uh, you know, I think he'd also be a brilliant re- um, replacement for Johnny if he can't play. Yeah. And talk us through the difference, I suppose, in a line-out and like a difference of, of a line-out on the five as opposed to the 22 in the 83rd minute. 
Yeah, it's, obviously it's huge. Ireland score a lot of tries from all, and a lot of tries from line out in general, but definitely from all. And um, you know, I think if you look back at Sexton in the first half, he had a chance to kick the ball, and he went for it. He went as far yeah. as he could, and you know, he was uh, inches off going out five meters from the try line. They kept it in, and the next minute we're back in our ten yeah. meters. So I think if someone like Johnny Sexton is able to make a mistake, you know, it happens to everybody. I guess it's just obviously Johnny has um, a lot of. Um, lot behind him, Billy. That was his moment to really grab this game and and deliver for them. And I think um, Johnny was actually quite. I think he said to Billy to go for it as well. So in Billy's head, he was like, "Right, I'm just going to get this ball as close as I can." So yeah, look, he's a, he is a great player. And if we get a try, if we get a line out there, then yes, you 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 put a pretty strong bet on that we're going to score from them all. And it is a big difference. Like if you're the difference of a of a fifteen meter. Out from a five meter out, it is huge psychologically. Um, you know, as an as a defensive line out, uh, when you're going to stop them all, you know you're more likely to hit it early. You're more likely to give away that cheap penalty. And Ireland are so good, even if they don't get them from them all, you know that they're going to keep the possession and they're very very good scoring tries from from short range, just like Leinster. So um, yeah, it, the gamble just didn't work out for them unfortunately. And if Johnny had, uh, just like that in the first half, Johnny had kicked the ball and we did get out there, you'd back us to score then too, and then it's a totally different dynamic. So um, it'd be interesting to see now, you know, what's going to happen next week in regards to that. Yeah, let's say Henderson um, or let's say James Ryan passes the HIA and Henderson had a great performance today, but then so did Byrne. Like you can't, you know, it's it's tough to leave them off. Do you see? Brian maybe move into the back row or what kind of changes do you think they'll well, make next you've weekend? Got to, you've got to have that. Like, that kind of discussion was forgotten about, I think, for a yeah. while. And, and yeah, like, Hendy played a lot of his rugby early on at six. Uh, and as you said, Ty Burns played quite a bit at six. So maybe do you do you go, right, well, you're going to miss Peter Manny too, so there's another line-out operator gone. So maybe, maybe if James Ryan is fit, do you do that? And when we come against... Like leading into the Six Nations, it was all about how Ireland going to compete with France and England, big, big power games. Well, is it a case of maybe just getting or better? Do you just do you not worry about a combination just as much, and do you just try to get your best players, your most powerful players on the pitch? So maybe that is something that they might go for. Um, you know, Van der Flyer and Connors bring something. You know, geez, they're world class sevens. But maybe is there a dynamic shift of what they could do with that back five? Because you know it is going to get um, you know the big 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 teams are coming our way, and how do you match this? The French pack is is formidable, and how do we impose ourselves on them? It means a taller guy jumping in the line out as well. You know, yeah, like a, a Handy or a Tig at six, you know. But at the same time, back to your point earlier on in the conversation, like Reese Rodick has played so well, it's it's quite hard and and. Hendy made such a impression off the bench. So if James passes the HIA, like I would say, you'd go Tyg Byrne, uh, James Ryan, and Reese Ruddock. You know he jumps quite well for for um, for Leinster in the line eight. A for lot. a big man. <laughs> for a big man. <laughs> for a big man. Yeah, yeah. And what Akilah Doris? I mean, I don't know. Yeah. His, what's his situation? I mean, he was obviously missed massively. I think I read somewhere he was going to see a neurologist. Was it over in the UK somewhere? Okay. So that's not a very good sign, is it? So really it's unlikely for next week yeah. anyway. But he, I mean, he's been unbelievable. So that was you know, huge. He would have been massive today, obviously as well. So yeah. um, but if you have Hen- if you have Hendy, whether he's starting or whether he's coming off the bench, like he made such a huge impact coming off the bench. You know, usually guys come in and they ease into a match. Like and he had a turnover. 
yeah. really crucial turnover in the first half, getting over the ball and. But he does it every time. You know, yeah, he's injured, he has, he's been so injury prone, but it does. He doesn't need like whenever I whenever I don't know about yourself, but whenever I got injured and he came back, you know, you'd like you just wanted to feel your way back in because it took you a bit of time. He's okay. It's European Cup, pff, no problem. Throw me in. Uh, test match rugby, no problem. Throw he just me didn't in. need the practice. He, he was just straight ready for it. Just like doesn't phase him, and he and he just goes for it. Um, Another man, tight fairline. Yeah. Exactly. Like yeah, the, mm. these, these players just don't seem to need, you know, whether whether it's the conditioning that they get done off the pitch or, but the mindset even to be up to that speed, decisions under pressure, um, yeah, they just seem to be cope so well with with being thrown into it, which is really positive, for, especially for someone who is obviously very you know more injury prone than others. I think the debate probably for the coaches that are sitting around is going to come down to how the bodies are as well, because like five day turnaround for. Ireland six-day turnaround for France and really, you know, France did ring in the changes after around 50, 60 minutes. DuPont was off with yeah. the Man of the Match award after 60 minutes or so. <laughs> like, pretty impressive and, you know, he'll be very fresh along with the others and yeah. that that game just wasn't as attritional as, like, the game the games against Wales and Cardiff are notoriously one of the toughest um, physically. Uh, that's what the Everyone always says about going over there, you, you come out of the place battered whether you've won or lost. And um, it just depends how the bodies are and how the guys recover. I'd say that'll be a big bearing point for the coaches as to who they go with. Yeah. What about Wales today, though? I know we're talking a lot about Ireland, but like, will Wales top, topple the big, you know, the big guns, the Englands and not England anymore, but, you know, the Francis? That, like, will Wales go ahead and will they win this? I don't think we've learned an awful lot about Wales today. Uh, to be honest, um, I think their inability to exploit Ireland being a man down, you know, uh, I think is poor. Um, and then saying that, um, you know, you look at that spine that Welsh team, and if they click, and if you know they have world class players, um, although you know a lot of them are getting the older age. Um, I don't know whether, like my wife said to me earlier, which I don't know where she heard this from, but apparently Alwyn Jones has more caps than all of the Italian team which I don't know where she heard that from <laughs> I don't know if she's lying true. and it, like she doesn't watch rugby so I don't know where <laughs> she got this from but that's so so that's you know if you got something like Alwyn Jones um, you know, the Italians had a tough enough day at the office without your missus I know and she's poking the fire the I don't know why she doesn't like the Italian team <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah like I just think you know the, the Dan Lydiate as well obviously it's a sad story him coming off of his knee um, yeah. I don't know I just don't think the wheels yeah, psychologically, yes, they got a good win today against Ireland, but I, you know, I can't see them being. I don't think that they have what it takes to go on and, and push on. I think Scotland. I think um, I know we're probably going to win Scotland soon. I wish we talked way more about Scotland, but you know, from what they produce, that they can produce that every week. Then yes, you get excited. I don't think you get. I don't think if you're a Welsh fan, really, are you that excited about what they pulled off today? I don't think so. Yeah, well, it's an open book after round one anyway. Okay, great stuff. We'll take a short break and chat about the weekend's other games there. To take you there, here's some more of what Johnny Sexton and Andy Farrell had to say after the game. I said it to him. I said to him, I said, Billy, you got to go for it. And he did. And like I went for one as well in the second half. Because when you're, when you're chasing the game, you're eight points down. Or as when, Willie, when Billy was taking the kick, he was, we were five points down. You've got you to put a five metres out. Like you gotta, that's, when you, that's when you score a try. If you put a ten metres out, a good mall very rarely gets over so you know he goes for it other days you're the hero you, you stick a ride in the five and it's the life of a the life of a number 10 you know it can come down to you know small small margins and uh well i thought he did very well in, in, in the other parts of the game and um it's not 
that's one moment. You know, there's, there's there was plenty through that second half where we and the first half that we we could have done better. But in saying that, it's tough when you're when you're playing with 14 men. I've been there, um, you know, as a 10. Like I said, you you have moments where you're the hero. You have moments where you're the villain because you put yourself on the you put yourself in those moments, and that's that's the responsibility that you have. And um, like I said, if you kick the ball onto the 22, I think that would have been worse than than going for it and um, you know to to go and, and properly try and uh, stick a five meters out. Didn't come off from, but um, he will learn from it and he'll, he'll go again. Well, you know, I, I was saying to the lads that they'll uh, they'll feel sorry for themselves for a couple of hours and they'll bring the best version of themselves into work tomorrow because um, there's, there's a lot of us in the group that's been involved in enough Six Nations to know that uh, Six Nations is not one on the first day. Um, from here on in, we've, uh, we, we've, we've, we've got to be clinical, more clinical, and, uh, and give the performances of our lives to, to, to be in the battle to win the competition. Uh, it's as simple as that. We've got a very good French side coming over next week, and uh, yeah, I suppose coming over to the Aviva, we'll back ourselves against anyone there. House of Rugby Ireland. Tell us what you think by comment and rating us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. France racked up 50 points in their championship opener against Italy, but all the talk on Saturday was about Scotland's 11-6 win over England. The first time they've beaten England at Twickenham since 1983, when none of us were born. Lads, what did you make of that one? Yeah, it was obviously the highlight of the weekend, wasn't it? Um, I wish we'd had a full show on that game instead of the <laughs> <laughs> game. She started um, on a high. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> England but, getting beaten. Um, yeah, listen, wasn't it just brilliant um, for... Scotland to pull off for something that's you know hasn't happened for as you said for such a long time. The way they they went about it, I mean, they could have beaten England by more, um, or they could have battled it. Well, or they could have <laughs> bought the end exactly, yeah, as well. But um, no, like a, a unbelievable effort, defensive effort. Um, the geez, throughout that teaming, Finn Russell, uh, apart from his mistake on the yellow card with the you know the, the trip, um, to have someone like him in your team and Stuart Hogg, like real just. Um, yeah, cool, collected um, swagger, I guess, Finn yeah. Russell has, hasn't he? You know, obviously, his best mates was Zebo. Yeah, so obviously, yeah. off each other. But yeah. yeah, like to have, if you're a four, if you're a player on that team and you know you've got someone like that with a bit of X factor, um, yeah, he, he, was, he just played the game so well, didn't he? And put them back. And England just, um, yeah, they, they're big carriers. I think like Billy Vanapolo didn't touch the ball in the first half, really. Um, Johnny May, you know, wasn't really at the races, didn't see him getting the ball in space. So they just did a really, really good job of, of nullifying this big English um, power game. Um, and the other, the Scottish scrum as well. I mean, the Fagerson brothers, you know, some the two, the two boys were just outstanding prop and the back rower, uh, number eight. So, yeah, just the Scottish team, fair play to them. They, massive underdogs. And, and um, it was just brilliant to see them, them doing so well against our... Obviously, always nice to, to see England lose. So. Yeah, a lot of people are, are taking it off Scotland and putting it back on England, and that you know, it's obviously Saracens makes up quite a lot of their team. And has that had an impact on the English performance? Um, you'd imagine it would have, yeah. Um, I think that the likes of Billy Vunapola and Owen Farrell didn't have the they didn't probably have the bearing on the match that they normally would. Like they're usually. You know, if those two guys play well for England, you generally win the game. I thought 
I don't know if Billy Vinopola looked that fit because he just hasn't played that much yeah. rugby, to be fair. And, you know, even a player as classy as Owen Farrell, um, if he hasn't played much rugby and you're going straight into even, like, a couple of league games, you know, he has played no rugby. So there's, you can do all the training you want, but until you get into a test yeah. match, like those lads, Finn Russell and all the Scottish guys have played an awful lot of rugby this year and you could see that they're fit, they're hungry. Um, but, yeah, as Chris said... It was great to see. It just opens up the competition because, like, people looked at that game and thought uh, that's going to be a bonus point for for England. And you kind of thought the way the Scots do usually put it up against um, England that it would be you know close for fifty minutes. But they hung in there, and really, they probably deserved to win by more than that in the end. They deserved to win by another score or two, and they put. I'm not sure. Again, the stats were massively in this, uh, the Scots' favour between carries, metres gained. Yeah. Uh, to be honest, I, th- I think for the competition, it was nice because England have been so successful in the last years playing what I think is a negative brand of rugby. They kick a lot of the ball. Yeah. They play an awful lot of 10-man rugby. And granted, they do have extremely dangerous backs when they get space off turnovers, but they don't play that much rugby otherwise. And I think they, they play... Uh, uh, Territory-based game uh, that is bit like that has uh, grown around their power runners and the Scots play a lot of rugby and it was just great to see them pull that off and what about thirty-eight years I'd say they had yeah. um, I'd say they had a nice few beers together in a controlled environment last night but uh, it'll be interesting to see how they got on against Wales yeah because both of them now have won their first two games they probably weren't expecting to win their first two games and. Um, it just makes the competition extremely interesting now. Yeah, like Scotland almost played them at their own game with that kicking in that territory game and forcing them back onto their five. And maybe it was just moments of like amazing skill from Stuart Hogg, but he was phenomenal yesterday. He was brilliant. And even you could think the way he captains the side, obviously the players all um, you know have so much respect for him. He um, said that the term, he, or the word he keeps using is belief, belief, belief. And that was a Scottish team that definitely believed going to Twickenham, which is such a daunting place to go to. But again, do you go, well, if there was 80,000 English fans there, could yeah. that would, would, would Scotland have had the belief uh, to go if the, if the English fans were there. So um, certainly nullifies the home advantage. I think before uh, the Six Nations, like was the home team usually wins by like 60% or something. I think this championship, it's, uh, no doubt it's going to play a factor. There's been a lot of talk on it. Um, but no, like the Scottish big, the, the, in these test matches, you want your big players to step up and have big moments. And, you know, your Johnny Gray, like how many lineups did he steal? Yeah. You know, he was colossal. You know, so much talk about, uh, you know, Toji going into this, but it was Johnny Gray was fantastic. I think he could have been man of the match as well. Um, so no, it's just, it is great to see. Because, um, yeah, the Scottish team, Certainly, I think most of us wouldn't have predicted that result, and, and I'm certainly glad to have been. I think most people are glad to be proven wrong that um, they were able to pull it off. Yeah, I, I think um, there was a map on Twitter yesterday that showed like the whole of the UK shouting for for Scotland yesterday, and I think Ireland were definitely the same. Um, the Scottish pubs, I mean, you just <laughs> feel so sorry for Scottish pubs. <laughs> I know. Pubs. So made, like, oh my word! Like <laughs> the Irish, the pubs in Dublin. Yeah. Well, that's so true. Sorry, the pubs in Dublin too. But yeah, I mean, imagine being in in, um, in yeah. Edinburgh. Three sisters watching that game. So sad. But, you know, hopefully the Scottish, if any Scottish um, people watch the podcast, they'll just have to make up for it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'm sure they did it on. Yeah. Mm. Um, Finn Russell, as we know, like plays with such flair. We've seen so many magic moments from him in the past, both at club and with his country. Um, what was he thinking for the drop goal? 
Yeah, I, I, I actually didn't think he had that good a game. I, I saw there was an yeah. article, there was an article written about him saying you know Russell orchestrates Scottish win. Hogg had an incredible yeah. game. Like everything he touched was just it was just had one of those games. I think it summarized like what, how, how he's come come on as a player. I think he's really matured as a player. I think when he first broke on and probably um, his first few years with Scot- with Scotland, he could make those amazing breaks, but he would often make pretty silly mistakes as well. Maybe won a game, yeah. like against Ireland, it was the one over the try line yeah. where he knocks it on by trying to put it down with one hand. Um, but he had a brilliant game. He really led as a captain with everything he did. I think his decision-making as well, I think when they decided to go for the corner and um, take the points as well. But, you know, Finn Russell tried to go for that drop goal. He he got, got a yellow card and... He also he also missed that penalty as yeah. well that was probably kickable. Um, so he didn't do them any fl- favors, but he's just uh, Russell's just one of those players that I'm sure Gregor Townsend just just can't keep out of the team because he brings so much more um, to a game as a ten. He's got that flair. He um, it, you're hard to be in your mate though if you're yeah, like oh going into that last ten minutes. He's trying that drop goal and it's just bouncing around like a football. Was I it, mean, as a four, was it because yeah, after all the hard work? Oh. But was it? Genuinely to stop that bonus point, the losing bonus point for England. Was that in the back of his mind? I, you wouldn't know. No. I, like, I would have thought they were holding on to the ball pretty well. And I know that there was another, it was going to be a long two minutes doing that. Um, he did have some nice, he did have some nice moments. So he did pin them back at a few key moments during the game as well. And um, you Sean Maitland too, like that must have been his best game. Yeah, he, in a long time. he was unbelievable. Yeah. Like he, he was chasing balls like, he reminded me of you, Ferg, back in your day. Made <laughs> chase, chase balls, you know. He was hunting everything and and making moments happen. Um, so he, I thought he was really good as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, but Red yeah. Path to twelve. Sorry, like actually, that's yeah. that's a that's such a cool story. When I heard that his, they were talking during the game, the commentators saying that his father. So I know people know the backstory to this guy, Red Path, who plays for Bath. So his father used to play for Scotland, and he had played for Scotland. Uh, seven times against England and lost all of the games and his son could have qualified for the English senior team because he had played for the, the 20s and he decided to play for Scotland and he beats England in Twickenham for the first, t- first, first time ever playing them so it's a pretty pretty cool story there but I thought his he had a phenomenal game like for like he, he's going to be some player for a young lad to go in in his first test match against such a physical side and he was getting over the gain line making smart decisions um, seems like a tough lad as well. Like he could be uh, a real shining star for the rest of the tournament for them. Next up, I suppose next weekend is on Valentine Valentine's Day is Ireland versus France. It's not going to be an easy one after that great French performance at the weekend. Nope, they'll be coming uh, to Dublin pretty confident. Um, French, obviously, in the past. You know, we always say to the French travel, um, I think without the Irish fan base there as a bit of intimidation, it certainly levels it again. Um, the pond was just unbelievable. Um, so if you've got someone like that in your team, um, setting the tempo and bossing people and just pulling off bits of magic, um, you know, we, we're going to have to really you know, bring in a really good performance. And you can, I wonder how Ireland will approach this week. Will they be focusing too much on this French team or do they get back to... 
right, what is making Ireland good at being Ireland and not worrying too much about the opposition because the, 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 the French pack, um, you know, the French back row, um, Levon, the new captain, you know, was outstanding, leading, you know, it's just a new French era, isn't it? And, and what they did last in the Autumn Nations with their younger side, um, you know, should have beaten England. Um, so it is, it's going to be a really tough challenge. And it's when you lose your first game of Six Nations, you're climbing Everest and you've got to, like, you just got to get back on the horse as quickly as possible. Um, so, yeah, the French, I don't know what injuries profile they have and who's going to be coming back because they were missing a few key players. Um, but it's going to be a really, you know, tough, tough day for Ireland to make sure we, we get a win at home. Will Ireland going in as underdogs into this game benefit them? You know, they went into the Welsh game pretty much favourites. Did that go against them? Um, I wouldn't say it went against them because I think that psychology would have been knocked out of them by Paul O'Connell, definitely, and probably Andy Farrell during the week if there was any sort of complacency like that, which I'm sure there wasn't. But, um, yeah, it's just interesting. We would have been, you know, favourites going over to Cardiff. I think we've only won... You know, the last yeah. time we had won there was uh, 2013, wasn't it? It was quite a while yeah. ago, so it's a very tough place to go, regardless of what Welsh team is being picked. But um, in terms of this week, like very tough to, to bounce back like after losing that in that way. But I think that hurt will be harnessed in the right way when you've got a Paul O'Connell in there who's been through it before. He'll know what conversations to be having with certain guys, which guys to put an arm around and be like, listen... You know, you could have done this better, but this is a huge week. Like they can still win the competition. Like the competition is wide open, so very disappointing. But you got to remember, you're playing against a test side for, you know, seventy or sorry, sixty-seven um, minutes. You're playing against a test side, a good test side for sixty-seven minutes away from home with fourteen men. It's next to impossible to win the game. So like. Bearing that in mind, we still should have won the game. So there's an awful lot of... I think there's... After the 24 hours passes, I think the public will... And generally, even the players will, will realise, you know, how how brave and, and how, how good a performance that was, taking everything into account. So um, I think the French, their tails will be up. And I think if there's any time to, to, to get them, it, will, it is yeah. at that time. I think the, the French are a dangerous team and they're a wounded animal and they're not at the moment... They've just come off a relatively easy test match against Italy, so um, hopefully that'll work in our favour. Yeah, how hard is it as a player knowing that you got thrashed out of the game, you weren't up for it, you weren't good enough, as opposed to just losing by the bare minimum? It makes it easier to get up the next day and train knowing that you know you were there, you were there, thereabouts, you were almost good enough. Yeah, I mean, it's really difficult, isn't it? Like, as I said, I, I felt that the, the team will be galvanised tonight. You know, they'll be very much, you know, probably saying, right, we are just tightening up, yeah. tightening up, not listening to outside noise. This is what it's about. It's a short week, which, okay, will be sore, but it means they get back out quicker. Um, so, yeah, like, losing like that, it is tough, but, yeah, it's kind of does, uh, offers a wee bit of um, solace that they, they give it their all. As I said, they went to the well, uh, just, you know, said it was just a wee bit off, um, pulled off a magical... Um, come back so as a, they've just got to stay positive you know they really do um, but it is losing your first game just really makes it that so much more harder to, to stamp yourself in this on this tournament Fergie you played against um, France in the 2012 and 2013 championships what's it like going facing those French teams yeah it's it's tough facing them home or away particularly in Paris uh, as, as Chris would tell you um, with that crowd, so one, the loudest crowd in, in, the, in the competition when they get going over there. But um, 
they're they're tough side to predict when 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 we were playing them probably tougher. I think they've got more structure, um, but at the same time they're a better side now. They've with that structure they've got Sean Edwards who's leading their defence. Their defence, I think, the summary of the defence. The, sorry, the summary of the, the the way the French have changed would be how they are in defence. Definitely, I think that the fact that they don't have guys walking when people miss tackles. Um, you know, when when kicks go over their head, you see guys sprinting back. They seem to have a culture now where they work hard for each other. So they've got that French flair, but then they work their socks off for each other, which is, you know, you never thought you'd be saying about the French, but they're one of the hardest working teams in the competition. So and their 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 defense has turned into a real strength for them. So I think if Ireland can get a dry day, um, hopefully we can, uh, because they'll be a tough team to break down if it's wet, because you won't be able to shift the ball. Um, past the point of contact very far. Both of you played in the game against France that was actually called off. Were you over in France or was it in Ireland at the time and did you train away or did you go on a night out after it? No, well I was over as 24th man um, and it was in Paris so I mean it was ridiculous like we were warming up and the ground was rock hard like there was no way that game was going to be played but we warmed up um, 80,000 people had got the stadium we were um, in the huddle, in, in the you know, I was twenty fourth man, so I was actually just the side, and the, everyone was in the huddle. Paul O'Connell, the captain, you know, he was um, giving us one of the his emotional, yeah. emotional ones, which was great. You know, he, he picked and chose whenever he like properly went, you know, tears in the eyes and <laughs> talked about his, you know, it was more than just rugby. It was his you know, about your family, and your kids, and your friends, <laughs> and um, yeah, like we, everyone was so so pumped up. And next minute, you know, one of the um, ground staff or when the management came over and tapped his shoulder and just said, oh, by the way, there's no game. So bizarre moment, you know, 80,000 fans waiting there for, for a game. Um, so we actually, you know, bizarre situation. We actually, um, a lot of us went out and played touch against the, the, the French for a while, if you remember that. Which we won, actually. We won that game. Yeah, we, we won the touch the game. Brilliant, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, then they, they, the fans also... Did you actually get to play at 24th, man? Well, well, I got to play. Yeah, they pulled me in, of course. I was burning the touch rugby then. Um, and, but no, we played that for like five, ten minutes and then they, loads of the fans stayed in the ground to watch. And they were cheering us. It was brilliant. But then it's like they, the halftime show when all the little yeah, kids. Yeah, but come then on. They, they were like, they, they, they like, right, <laughs> get, yeah, but they were like, right, get everyone out. They all had to leave, so they cancelled that touch game, which was disappointment. And then yeah, we went back to the, the to the um, the hotel. Everyone was obviously you know you're taking caffeine gum. Yeah, you're, you're wired. You're wired, and it's hard to sleep anyway after the game. So yeah, I remember Paulie just saying, look, it's, this is not ideal, but this is a chance for us all to you know have a few beers, get to know each other a bit better. Um, and yeah, we had a you know brilliant team social out in, in, in Paris um, yeah bizarre that there was no game um, but yeah just one of those great stories and, and um, one of those yeah, nights out in Paris that should never happen but did and it was brilliant yeah. Fergus you came off the bench when Johnny Sexton got that drop goal you were on the pitch when, when that moment happened Like, was, is that up there is one of the, the memories that stand out, stands out in your mind well it was so I got I got picked for that 23 I was the 23rd man picked for that like late in the week that week so we went over to Paris and I came on so I remember the French if I remember correctly that the French had a kick on like the 15 metre line and they missed it uh, to go I think five points ahead and they were two ahead at the time and he missed a, a very kickable kick and Johnny got the ball straight away ran up to the 22 the French weren't set properly and he short kick off to Dev and we just started building phases from there. I'd, I'd come on like the 73rd minute. So this was, it was probably around the 70, 78th or so. It was, it was coming up to yeah. the last couple of minutes of the match anyway. 
and we just started going through phase and phase upon phase and um you know when you, you first get it off that dev towered above and caught the ball you're kind of going like all the players are probably in their head like thinking we like to break this french team down and get down there was a wet day the ball wasn't very easy to pass but people just started mining the ball our rook was very good everyone just dialed in and um we were struggling to break them down around the um r10 meter line and johnny tried a crossfield kick to keith earls who um caught it and that just got our tails up we got over the gain line a few times and i think it was 41 phases and i think i was either in a rook yeah, I think it was in a rook, and Conor Murray threw the ball back and kicked it. Just look at it soaring through the air. And honestly, I was only on the pitch for seven minutes, but when that went over, it was it was the best feeling I've ever had on a rugby pitch in my life. Like it literally was. <laughs> like I'm talking as good as like the feeling after having our first child. Like it was just, <laughs> and my wife won't be happy I said that. Yeah. But genuinely, it was just incredible. Johnny running back, the whistle had gone, and obviously. It was in Paris, so there was like a silence in, in most of the stadium and then pockets of Irish yeah. screaming and we just jumped massive pile on, on Johnny. But there's some brilliant pictures of us all jumping on top of Johnny there, but what a memory for him to have. Like Because I think today shows you the Six Nations, like you need luck to, one, win it, but you need an awful lot of luck along the way um, to... Uh, win a Grand Slam and, and not to say that that kick from Johnny was luck but I suppose if you go through the 41 phases what could and couldn't have gone wrong things need to fall into 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 place for you and that, that day so when something like that happens in a game at the start of Six Nations you can start to, it just builds belief and that's the most unfortunate thing I think today about the Irish performance is that that belief would have been there after going down to 14 men but um, just wasn't to be It's great that you have a moment like that and it, it stands out of all the games you've played, and you've played a lot of rugby, you know, it's, and I think a lot of Irish fans will cherish that moment too. I know as a, as a fan, I do. Um, and that's what the Six Nations really is and about. I did nothing. All I did was clean out a few. <laughs> you had 41, yeah, you 41 phases, how many rocks were you in? Probably around 20. And why did he not kick to you, Crossfield? <laughs> kick? Uh, yeah. We looked up, oh no, we've got to go. He's not going <laughs> to kick at someone in a rock, Chris. You know? <laughs> All he did is a rock, in a rock as a winger anyway. <laughs> what are we supposed very to be doing? Important, very important, Amy. It really is. Um, I suppose a talking point this week, ahead of, or you know, separate to the Six Nations, is the player contract negotiations that are going, and it must be lingering at the back of the players' minds. You know, would they be sorted at this stage? Obviously, Ulster have got their their ass in gear, and they're really like there's a lot of people signed on there. Um, but, you know, is that a, is that in the back of their minds at the moment, or have they, has the deal been done? Um, yeah, I think. Look, it's obviously surprising that we've gotten to February and the start of the Six Nations, and, and there still isn't probably a bit more higher profile news um, with with signings. It, it probably reinforces the um, struggle that the rugby in general is in. Um, as a player, when I was playing, there's no doubt about it. When you were out, up from contract, it was in the back of your mind. Um, you know, no matter what the players, you know, the, the, as, as you go to your media media sessions, you know, you won't you won't tell. No, don't think about it. Only focus about the rugby. But you go to bed and you go, well, what if I wake up on the next day and getting injured or you know have a poor performance like that these things do play in your mind so um yeah disappointing that there's not more news i guess um as you mentioned ulster have um you know you've been releasing some very positive news but i think it's just really challenging times and there's going to be guys that unfortunately are going to get tougher news um maybe 
you know, expecting a, terms that you know aren't going to be available for them. So it is. It's just a, a fact of life at the moment that we're in. That um, yeah, everyone's um, battling that that front at the moment. Um, had you ever considered you know going abroad as a player when you were in contract negotiations? Yeah, I mean. Um, a lot of it is... Probably the big money moves to France. <laughs> oh, man, you kidding me? I was desperate for France, but no, never France. France would be the end of me, sure, the, the red wine and the croissants and the baguettes. Um, no, I never got the chance of that. I, the, the three clubs that I, um, you know, at times were, were close to going to was firstly Exeter when they weren't in the premiership. Um, Garstinson and Ian Whitten were there and... Um, that was a you know that was our team. Um, London Irish was another team I talked to at one stage. But the the one that might surprise um, some of your viewers is I was at one stage very close to going to, to Leinster. Um, so it was certainly a uh, a ploy for me at that stage um, with negotiations with Ulster. This would have been maybe two thousand and nine, two thousand eight, and um, it was about it was after Christmas anyway. So usually you know if you are playing well, most contracts usually obviously would have been done by you know even September October, latest November. You're sitting at Christmas time, you know you've got your mm. new contract usually done. Um, and yeah, Leinster at that stage, um, you know Shane Jennings was getting on a wee bit, and they were like, the, you know the, the conversation happened as Chris hasn't got signed yet from Ulster. Would he be interested? So I, I made the journey to Dublin. I was just a ploy. To, to, it was David Humphreys at the time doing negotiating, and if you know David Humphreys, he's a tough negotiator. And it was just, sure. to be honest, a way of me um, using that to, to say, right, let's get this in gear. Uh, and I remember driving home after having the chat with um, Guy Easterby at the time and going, geez, this actually could be pretty exciting. Now, obviously, I'm so glad that it didn't happen and, um, you know, wonderful career with Ulster and that wasn't where my heart is and I uh, wouldn't have changed it. But, um, yeah, just Isaac Boss and Ed O'Donoghue, that was the year that they left as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, that was the, the only time that I was, um, you know, nearly going, but my heart was always with Ulster and never moved and I'm sure you must was have it, was that why Was that why Draco punched you in the face that time in the final? <laughs> I thought we couldn't talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we can now. Yeah, oh, we oh, talk we about can now. now, yeah. Jeez. He <laughs> apologised, so it's all fine. Uh, but enough. yeah, no, punch, uh, what, no, add to the injury list to the nose. Um, the punch from Draco in the nose a long time ago. <laughs> People probably didn't. Tell uh, you what, if the sighting officer was around these days, that would have been a few weeks. Well, so the context of that was it was in the final, right, or mm. semi-final, final, yeah, and fine. we were about to fly out to New Zealand two days later. So I was cheating. I pulled Draco back. We then started made another line break again, probably Ferg, and um, I had pulled um, Draco back, and he, you know, obviously didn't like it, rightly so, and he. Through a through a dig, hit me in the nose. So I went brilliant. This is definitely going to be you know yeah. yellow card or whatever at that stage. And um, no, it was uh, dismissed. Game on. So after the game, we lose as usual in the RDS. Great. And um, the sighting commissioner came in and said, you know, he, he did. He, he punched you. I went, yeah, he did. And he goes, you know, we're flying out to New Zealand in two days. And <laughs> you, you know, and I'm going. If uh, I push this, I'm going to be the most hated person. Will in hate free, you. Oh, free we're going to go to New Zealand, but without Draco, okay, because yeah, yeah, yeah. of because of me. So um, no, that Instead was of getting beaten by sixty points. You would have got beaten by one hundred and twenty <laughs> points. Exactly. <laughs> so no, um, didn't didn't push that one. <laughs> Did France ever tempt you? Uh, not so much France. I talked to a couple of English clubs along the way. Um, again, probably doing it. Um, as a bit of a base for, for Leinster to keep me and and probably improve my negotiation at the time. Um, I suppose if, now that I'm retired, there's probably a, a small part of me. I remember pr- when Brad Thorne came to Leinster for that year in, in 2012, he used to always say to the, 
the younger guys at the time, you know, you should go away, go down, go down under and test yourself. He said, that's what I found is I've gotten so many more years out of my careers because I've had to go into new environments, even with his reputation and having to prove himself to new groups of guys. Mm -hmm. And um, I think in, in one in one way it can, you know, lengthen your career as well because um, you have to kind of prove yourself to new guys and, and you know, um, and improve and all the rest, but uh, I never did it. Yeah, never did it. And again, I'll um, relay what what Chris had said. I'm I'm happy I didn't. I'm very happy with the the stint and feel lucky with the stint I had in Leinster. But um, back to the the sort of the negotiation stuff that you had talked about earlier on. I I definitely found uh, a few times because unlike for people that at home that are listening or, or watching, um, unlike say you know, the corporate world or you go on a job where this is your contract for the year and it's just done on a certain day. With rugby contracts, it's very fluid. So um, it starts at the top. So the top guys who are on, on central contracts would get um, calls, say, some of them would get calls in August without COVID and, and the, their deal might be done in September time, whereas the guys who are lower down the rung and the food chain, they could be talking or uncertain about their futures in January and all that time guys are playing and as Chris said you know when you are going through the negotiation process and you're in the midst of it you're talking to an agent you're talking to you might be talking to your wife or your parents about trying to get advice and trying to block that out when you're playing because for the player the longer it goes on all the all of the power lies in the club or the the IRFU's hand because you can get injured you can play badly um you know other clubs might not be interested in you um, so it's, it could be quite a tough time for guys. So I'd say these guys at the moment that haven't got their contracts sorted yet, um, I really feel for them because it's been, you know, it's been months and, you know, I, some guys might have young families or mortgages and, and they're trying to get certainty on going forward. And uh, I just hope that um, most of the guys do manage to get some clarity on it, um, you know, as soon as possible. And do you think that it's that they haven't been announced yet or that they just haven't actually been organised yet? Well, I hope it hasn't been, and I hope it is a case of that where it's all been done and just hasn't been announced. But I don't know why they wouldn't have. Um, but I just think, as I'm sure for agree from from being out of the game, you know, it, it, it does it finishes so quickly. You know, I was lucky. I retired was 34, but actually, it just looking back now, I'm out of the game for two years, and it, it is so short. Mm. And um, everyone, different parts of your career, no matter where you are, it, it matters. You know, you need to get security. You're, as Ferg said, you're committed to, to um, you know, you're trying to pr- plan your life after rugby and it's just so important to, to maximise um, your time playing because it is a business and hopefully um, we'll get, uh, you know, it's just surprising that some of the really high profile players haven't been done yet and um, mm. yeah, I think for an, uh, for fans and for the players and for Irish rugby it'll be good to, to hopefully get some But by the sounds of what Johnny was saying, like he was saying that he hasn't been sorted and maybe he wouldn't say it publicly but like, I mean, if they're not getting Johnny Sexton's contract sorted at this stage, like when are, when are the other guys going to get sorted? Mm-hmm. Really, you know. And I'm sure some guys have signed on, but um, and I, I know it's a, I know I know it's a tough time for the unions. But you've got to expect that um, you've got to you've got to secure these these the, the bigger players um, and and make sure they they stay in the country and they don't go abroad. I think it's very important to keep them here because if they're not here, they're not going to play for Ireland. Yeah, and do you see that rule changing if they do end up getting more money and and gain financially? In other countries, because that's where the money is essentially. Like well, it's, my, it's my opinion route. is, I I think uh, it's something that has to be. You know, 
Simon Zebo, you know, you're sitting yeah. there going like, I know Keaton's been brilliant, but like there's a player that is just so, you know, adds something and they, you know, it's a short flight home for him yeah. when he's required. And I just think that maybe, uh, the only thing is that there isn't as much, you know, if, if, someone, if there was so much more demand for players at the moment than all the other countries, then the Irish contracts would be done. But there clearly isn't as much, so yeah. it's a power game. It's the only people are really going to know is obviously the the agents and and uh, the powers of be. So, um, yeah, it's I, I think that the foreign power policy rule. Of course, you want to keep players here, but if it means that some other place is footing the bill, then I think it has to move that way. I just think it, that's the way the game. I think uh, it's a pity though because you do look at some guys that are flourishing abroad. You know, obviously the likes of Donica Ryan, his career has, um, you know, he's. Uh, reinvented himself almost going over there and it's almost like the hot weather has just turned him into a younger man he's playing great Simon Ziva playing great um, a young guy that left uh, or sorry well a young for his position Brian Byrne left Leinster yeah. um, last year uh, in an uncertain situation in Covid and he's gone, gone over and he's starting for a team that is uh, is playing the best rugby in the premiership and they're, they're on top of the, the league in Bristol He's a great example, you know. Yeah. Didn't get his opportunities that he that uh, through injury and selection in Ireland, but he's someone that should be looked at as well. Like, well, why shouldn't he yeah. be? So, um, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how the contract situation works out. Because if guys do disperse and and, and go to foreign waters, yeah. then maybe that ruling will have to change. You have to have the best players playing for you, whether they're in the country, whether they're not. And if there is an like a mass exodus of like those guys on the centralized contracts, well, they're going to have to re like. It's an unwritten rule, essentially. It's actually, you know, not an official rule, but they'll have to just look at it and, and think, you know... And you can learn so much off, like you mentioned, Donegal Ryan. Like, imagine him coming back when he's required. How much you learn from him, from what he's learning in, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, abroad too. So it's all about that, you know, the, the knowledge base and the, the way things are... The simple things about how they... Uh, conversation about how they run their training week. Mm-hmm. You know, how they run their, their line of sessions. You know, that, that's, it's, it's knowledge that you're just desperate for. Yeah. And to, to go from different places, I think it could only be a, a good thing. It's like when the environments come together with, you know, over time, when guys do open up, obviously it's a bit cagey initially when you come in from all the four provinces, but when guys in camp over the, these coming weeks, they'll be sharing ideas that were working for them in, the, in Munster, Ulster, Connacht and Leinster. And if you had... Um, six other touch points, as in six other teams, good teams around Europe, that you're taking other ideas from yeah. and bringing them all to the table, surely it's only going to be better. Yeah. So um, I think of what like Eason Asayo would have brought to Leinster from his experience in New Zealand or what you know, Albie Mathewson would bring to Ulster. You know, like Pina, this. Ruin Pina. Yeah. Yeah. He Ulster. was all right. Yeah. Huh? He was okay. <laughs> he was okay player. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like there's, it's, it's definitely something to be looked at. Anyway, we thought it would be a great idea to look at something that caught our eye on social media this week. That could be something funny, thought-provoking, shocking or downright brilliant that we've seen on Twitter, Instagram or on our House of Rugby Facebook page. We liked this tweet from BBC reporter Chris Henson after Scotland's win over England. Scotland players stock going through the roof game stop style after that win in front of Warren Gatland. And we finished with a picture that was doing the rounds everywhere. Even on our Facebook group was Anton Dupont with his feet up on the France bench after another superb performance. Is he the best player in the world at the moment? Well, him and Cheslin Colby, I guess, are the two. Um, totally just depends on the position. But yes, I mean, I would hate to play against him at the moment. He Things just happen around him and, um, yeah, he just oozes confidence and, and uh, things happen around him. So I'd say he probably is. 
probably. Well, cheers to everybody for watching and for listening today. A big thank you to producer Pat, Paul, Dermot, Anthony and everyone that helped in getting this show together. This has been House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe. Slongful. House of Rugby Ireland here on Joe. Game changed.